listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is Saturday Night on the Circle. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Producer Sam on the board, filling in for producer Carl, coming back to the show for the first time in a while. We welcome you here. Looking forward to it. Uh, This has been what we like to refer to in the biz as quite the week, filled with uh, trials and travail, of course, beginning with a tragic shooting in the Nashville school on uh, Monday, uh, ultimately on Thursday, and then throughout the day on Friday, it was announced uh, Trump's indictment. And then last night, we had storms blowing through uh, the surrounding areas around Indianapolis and several states, ultimately killing 21. So there's a lot to get through. Thanks for tuning into the show. Catch the podcast uploaded to WIBC.com. Saturday night on the circle.fireside.fm. And you can join the show in progress on YouTube. Just look up WIBC. You'll find us there and hop in the chat live. Offer your thoughts and commentary. Of course, we'll uh, be talking about the storms first before we get into uh, Donald Trump's indictment, since that has more local relevance. Three dead, at least eight injured around uh, Sullivan County after a tornado touchdown. A search and rescue continues. Uh, Warehouses were completely demolished in the area around Whiteland, closing down U.S. 31 for a time. Sullivan County still in a state of emergency after severe storms rolled through on Friday night. Night, the tornado touching down just after 10 p.m., hours after severe storm warnings had made their way across Indiana. Sullivan County officials say damage from the storm has destroyed homes, knocked down power lines, uh, ripped the roofs off of buildings, and they are warning individuals to stay inside if they are able to uh, because of down power lines in the area. It may cause electrical shock. So there's a lot of problems going on, not the least uh, the the three fatalities uh, resulting in tragedy for those families. So there's going to be a lot of cleanup going on in the coming days, and this will be an excellent opportunity for Hoosiers to reach out, help their neighbors, and rebuild after extreme devastation ripping through the state. Of course, that's not the only extreme thing going on. Uh, Donald Trump's indictment was announced, sending shockwaves across the country. Lots of commentary to be getting into, and I'll be playing some audio you don't want to miss from some of the top legal minds calling it utterly pathetic that he's been charged with more than 30 counts of business fraud. This is by far the weakest uh, the, the weakest accusations brought before the former president yet, um, but the Democrats have clearly been blinded by their political ambition to such an extent they are now polluting the integrity of the judicial branch by uh, uh, intruding into it uh, the political aspirations of the legislative branch. And it's a frightening disintegration of constitutional norms that we are watching unfold in front of us. This is all stemming back to hush money payments that were offered to Stormy Daniels in 2016. Now, it's not, it should be noted, it's not illegal to offer 
hush money payments to private citizens. Civil settlements happen, especially in the state of New York, all the time. What is illegal and what's being alleged is business fraud, uh, mislabeling those in his financial statements. However, this is a misdemeanor crime already passed the statute of limitations. This, according to Harvard uh, professor emeritus Alan Dershowitz, yes, of Harvard Law School, saying that it will likely be thrown out, or it should be. The most important thing is they indicted him when he was out of New York. And that means they could have indicted him within the statute of limitations when he was out of New York. Statute of limitations is way expired. They claim they couldn't have indicted him because he was outside of New York. But now they've indicted him when he's not in New York. So they've made a foolish, foolish decision, which will cause the case to be thrown out, I think, on statute of limitations grounds. And so what is if you're his lawyer right now, what do you make a motion now? Do you wait until the process no, no. gets a little bit you further? Make, what, what is the next step? You make a motion immediately to dismiss on statute of limitations grounds and on the grounds that uh, the, the alleged crime doesn't fit. To people who've been paying attention to politics for a while now, this is not Trump's first time at the rodeo. He's dealt with this multiple times throughout his administration, including two uh, frivolous impeachment attempts, one for the conversation, uh, the phone conversation in Ukraine and one for the January 6th attack, as well as an investigation that turned up nothing about Russian collusion. Um, ultimately, the uh, reports revealing there were no connections there. Uh, Jonathan Turley also commenta uh, commenting on the indictment, noting that the this is the most legally pathetic argument advanced by the left to date. It's really historic, this moment uh, that we're facing. It is. It's historic. It's not necessarily good history uh, that is being made. It's not that I uh, oppose the indictment of a former president. I don't even oppose the indictment of a sitting president on constitutional basis. But this uh, indictment, if it is reportedly following the theories that we've been talking about, is political. It's a raw political prosecution. Now, the indictment may come out with a crime that none of us have heard of, but for many months, this bootstrapping theory has been put out there. This idea that you could take a misdemeanor under New York law that has expired, that has a two-year statute of limitations, and revive it by connecting it to a federal crime, in this case, the federal election violation. Now, there's a host of problems with that. First of all, it's a federal crime. The Department of Justice chose not to prosecute. Uh, Bragg's own predecessor declined to prosecute. Uh, but he is attempting to bootstrap that federal crime into a state case. And if that is the basis for the indictment, I think it's rather outrageous. I think it's it's legally pathetic. This is Frankenstein's prosecution cobbled together from a rotting mishmash of statutes um, and will likely be overturned. You'll hear that phrase, legally pathetic. I think the Trump team is going to be drilling down, and it's important in shaping discussions to distill complex ideas into very easily understandable, repeatable phrases like legally pathetic. His uh, attorney in the matter, uh, Alina Haba, also using the term. We all are aware that this is probably the most legally pathetic case that we've seen. And just knowing the facts as I know them, based on comments to the press by people like Michael Cohen, who they're resting their case on, 
I think his sentiments are uh, that this is a result of him leading in the polls, doing incredibly well. He is the leading candidate, as we know. And when people are afraid of someone being successful and fixing the mess that our country is, they come after you. So this is the same thing that President Trump has been dealing with for years. And I, I can't say that he's surprised. It's important to remember, if they can do it to a former president of the United States, they can certainly do it to you. This is the deep state waging their political animosity against private citizens, the weakest charge yet and yet. Many talking heads are in unanimous consensus. This is not going to bring down the Teflon Don. He's faced these adversities before and walked away clean. In fact, it may end up making him stronger either way, just like Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. This is elevating his stature among the base and could prove to be the bolster, the boost that he needs to surmount the primary challenge of Ron DeSantis, even though, of course, he's not technically a declared candidate yet. I, I think we all know. I think it's clear. Uh, that's the way that the race is shaping up. And if he gets this martyr status among the country, that could be the, uh, exactly the thing that he needs uh, to to in, in order to secure victory here, which is very interesting interesting if he can keep himself out of trouble, which is something that Trump has an enormous propensity to do. We saw it repeatedly throughout the administration, getting his mouth in the way and distracting from the message. Because right now you have a majority, I think, of, uh, of people who agree that these charges are highly politically motivated uh, in their nature. Um, but yet you have Donald Trump running around posting pictures of himself in a baseball bat with DA or, uh, Manhattan DA uh, Alvin Braggs and and uh, having to distract the conversation. This is his uh, attorney Joe Tacopina appearing with uh, uh, Chuck Schumer on uh, Meet the Press talking about uh, Trump's uh, social media posting and admitting that it was ill-advised as often they are. Would you advise a client to personally attack a, a prosecutor like this? I mean, it's dehumanizing, Mr. Tacopina. You know, Chuck, I know, I, again, I'm not his social media consultant. I, I don't, I think that was an ill-advised post that one of his social media people put up and he quickly took down when he realized the rhetoric and the photo that was attached to it. But that being You're said, only referring I, to the I, baseball bat. He didn't take down the other rhetoric. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're referring to the baseball bat thing, which of course Chuck. was featured in the New York Post cover. New York right. Post thought it was right. a pretty, right. a pretty rough hit. And there was a, I mean, here's the thing. We, we went through January 6th. So it's just not like a possibility that Trump's rhetoric creates violence. It's already happened once. This is the kind of thing that really gets under my skin about Trump is the sideshow element. It's the sideshow. He never can drill down and focus on the issue at hand, which is talking about a deep state persecution and the pollution of the judicial branch. Instead, he's playing around with these social media posts and distracting from the overall issue uh, resulting in conversations like you just heard. So we'll see how... Uh, uh, how the case continues to unfold right now. The charges are sealed. We'll be getting more information in the coming days and certainly paying attention every step of the way. Talking about this later in the show as well. So make sure to stay tuned to hour two and also coming up next. You won't believe 
what the uh, Afghanistan, what the Taliban is doing with uh, uh, materials left behind in Afghanistan. Talking more about that coming up next. Stay tuned to 93 WIBC. Things that bother you never bother me. I feel happy and fine. Ha-ha! Living in the sunlight, loving in the moonlight, having a wonderful time. This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. Living in the sunlight, loving in the moonlight, having a wonderful time. The military-industrial complex, alive and well. I mean, after all, if we didn't arm our enemies, then who would there be left to fight? Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Catch the show uploaded to WIBC.com, Saturday Night on The Circle.Fireside.FM, or join the show in progress on the YouTube stream. Just look up WIBC and join the conversation there. In the last segment, I teased what the Afghanistan military, or I should say the Taliban, is doing with the more than $7 billion worth of equipment left behind. Well, They claim to have repaired more than 300 military vehicles since the evacuation in 2021, posting from their official Twitter page. Isn't that hilarious? Let that sink in. They'll ban the former president of the United States, but give Taliban access to Twitter, whatever. Hypocrisy notwithstanding, posting rows of American military vehicles that, in fairness, they claimed were partially sabotaged by the military on their way out. But guys, guys, you could have broken it worse. My goodness, you had bombs at your disposal. Just drop a bomb on the thing, blow it up, set it on fire. Don't leave it behind for our enemies to use. Unfortunately, not the first time we've seen this. It's been around. Hey, hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. What do you mean you've seen this? It's brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. It's a rerun. You'll find out. Well, the tired trope of America arming its own enemies goes back more than 30 years. Of course, one of the more famous monologues by Bill Hicks also pointing to literally the same problem 30 years ago. You know, he armed Iraq. I, I wondered about that, too. You know, during the Persian Gulf War, those intelligence reports would come out. Iraq, incredible weapons, incredible weapons. How do you know that? Oh, well... We looked at the receipt. <laughs> but as soon as that check clears, we're going in. What time's the bank open? Eight? We're going in at nine. The unimaginable loss of money, $7 billion of taxpayer funds alone left behind in Afghanistan. Of course, we're throwing billions more to the fruitless war in the Ukraine, the forever war that took exactly no time between the evacuation to start yet another one. So, yeah, the military industrial complex quite alive and well. $7 billion there, millions more to a fruitless 
frivolous uh, name-changing scheme at military bases I'll get to in just a moment. But first, this hilarious gaslighting on the part of the administration. You've already heard Democrats trying to spin the narrative that somehow Republicans are the ones who wish to defund the police. Now broadening the scope of that lie slightly more, Joe Biden tweeting from the official POTUS uh, page, quote, MAGA House Republicans' proposals would slash funding for border security, a move that would allow nearly 900 pounds of fentanyl into our country. We need more resources to secure the border, not less. Ah, yes, Mr. President, we famously think of MAGA Republicans most prominently in our minds when we think of individuals who are light on border security. What a ridiculous farce and fraud that the president is trying to perpetrate, repeated by Corrine Jean-Pierre, who insists he's doing his best with the resources provided to secure the border. The president is using the tools that have been presented to him that he's able to use from the executive level without the help of Congress, Republicans in Congress who have gotten in the way and have not helped at all to deal with this issue. Uh, the program that he's put forth, we see them working. The data shows that. Bet they could have used that $7 billion that was left in army materials behind in Afghanistan. You know, I mean, it's just, it's where you're allocating the resources. Speaking of which, like I mentioned, a frivolous expenditure of multiple tens of millions of dollars to rename army bases that honored Confederate soldiers. Uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant uh, General Kevin Vereen says the army expects to pay now in excess of $39 million. That's up from a 2022 congressional estimate from the naming commission, which claimed it would cost about $21 million. That was up from an initial estimate uh, when the Defense Department gave the Army $1 million to change its names, but that's not where anywhere close to what you need, uh, because in addition to the signs in front of the base, there's signs inside of the base, there's street names, there's a whole plethora, a host of materials which bear the name of the military base that now, by the, the, this uh, decision, must be replaced at a cost of nearly $40 million. So when we're talking Talking about uh, Republicans that want to defund border security or defund the police. It's not a matter of defunding anything. It's where we're allocating the resources, and the president is spending them quite frivolously, as is the Democratic-led Congress. So we've got a problem on our hands here, and it's not that Republicans are wanting to defund either the police or border security. It's that we have politicians who are being dishonest with how taxpayer resources are allocated. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Of course, a much more ridiculousness to come. Up next, we'll be playing Joe Biden bringing back an all-time classic, The Creepy Whisper in multiple occasions last week played for your entertainment up next for hat tricks with hatcher stay tuned to 93 wibc i think it's time to blow this thing get everybody in the stuff together okay three two one it's jam This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. This week, we're playing more of Biden's greatest hits as he revives an old classic, the patented Biden Creepy Whisper. It takes center stage again as the president addressed a crowd of small business owners and reminded the country of his deep abiding love for ice cream. 
Also, the great rotundity himself, Chris Christie, makes an ill-fated swing at profundity, punching above his weight in the race for Republican nomination in 2024. Hear all this and more for another excellent edition of Hat Tricks with Hatcher. It's time for another one of Hatcher's Hat Tricks. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle, where I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher, and producer Sam is on the board, beep, 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 pushing those buttons and doing the things to make the show function, filling in for producer Carl, doing a damn fine job of it. We begin this week with the Biden creepy whisper addressing small business owners and doing a, a very creepy job about it, talking about labor uh, labor unions and then women and whispering all the way. It's, it's well, you'll hear. Way I'm now I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm known as America's most pro-labor senator. Well, guess what? And then as now as president, well, guess what? They're, in fact, increasing the number of women are in labor unions. It's got to be. Oh, no, you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Ooh, that's creepy. They're, they're, don't you know they're, they're increasing the number of women in labor unions? Like, that's, it's a very weird tonal inflection for the president to use, and he's done it multiple times. Like I've said, this is the patented Biden whisper. We've heard him trot it out on multiple occasions. I mean, hell, he's going to use it again here in just a couple minutes. But of course, he also, while addressing these small business owners, made sure to mention multiple times his great love for ice cream, something we know about Biden and have for a while. Every opportunity he he can, he uh, uh, takes uh, the uh, uh, takes time to get some ice cream. My name is Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband, <laughs> and I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. I think I'm kidding. I'm not. The thing about Jenny's ice cream is, of course, one of the small businesses in the crowd was Jenny's ice cream. So, yeah, he's connecting it to the event. But, you know, when more serious things are going on, it's this kind of flippant behavior that we get out of Biden and the administration more broadly. He can't address topics that the nation earnestly needs to deal with. You know, instead, he's just joking around and eating the the old ice cream. Uh, you know, good old Uncle Joe. It's just what we're used to at this point. And again, in the same instance, trotting out the creepy whisper once more, talking about the ice cream. Plus Jenny's splendid ice cream. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, it is splendid. It, it, you think I'm joking? If I were allowed to take you upstairs, I got a whole freezer full of Jenny's chocolate chip ice cream. And that's what you get out of the president. You get the love for chocolate chip ice cream. You get the verbal blunders. Uh, you get the him losing his place, uh, not knowing who he's addressing, uh, forgetting that people uh, have died after he's named office buildings after them. Like, I mean, you know, and then, the, of course, the love for ice cream and the creepy whispers. It's all rolled into one extremely unappealing package in President Joe Biden. Speaking of 
of extremely unappealing packages, an excellent transition to Chris Christie, um, who was addressing a crowd in New Hampshire, potentially teasing the idea for a presidential run again in uh, 2024, uh, 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 certainly a move that would be ill-advised for his own uh, uh, for his own sake. Um, but, you know, kind of throwing in a few light jabs at President Trump and having a good old time. Chris Christie is considering another run for the White House, taking a few verbal jabs at Donald Trump, telling an audience in New Hampshire that he's got what it takes to take on Trump on the debate stage. Give this a listen. Let me tell you something. You better have somebody on that stage who can do to him what I did to Mark. Because that's the only thing that's going to defeat Donald Trump. And that means you got to have the skill to do it. And that means you have to be fearless because he will come back and right at you. And so you need to think about who's got the skill to do that and who's got the guts to do it. Because it's not going to end nicely, no matter what. His end will not be a calm and quiet conclusion. No, you stay here. I'm in charge. Do you feel in charge? (laughs) Chris Christie is certainly not the individual that has, quote, the guts to take on Donald Trump. His time came and went. And when he was getting chummy with President Barack Obama, that was when he largely threw a lot of his opportunity down the toilet. Chris Christie, not anyone's idea of an inspiring uh, candidate, especially when we have much more eminently qualified options like Ron DeSantis that is experiencing the support of the cultural zeitgeist. Chris Christie is not the hope we're looking for, and he can make those uh, uh long-winded aspirational proclamations in front of his uh, new New Hampshire buddies. But this isn't a serious attempt at a run for the president. And certainly if it is, it's not because he thinks he's going to win the office. It's because he's riding the tailcoats of other more qualified candidates to elevate his stature in a vain attempt to either enrich himself or spin it into some other kind of administration appointment, which nobody's doing for Chris Christie. I'm sorry, guy, your time has passed. You can now be a talking head on... Uh, you know, HBO's real time with Bill Mayer or CNN or what have you, you know, as he has often done. Um, but he will not be the Republican nominee. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle 93 WIBC. Another quite humorous uh, happening this week was a rather inappropriate guest from a Wheel of Fortune contestants uh, uh, this week. They're, they're having a special WWE tournament, which pairs regular players with uh, WWE champions. This time, it was a contestant named Tracina and her partner, Drew McIntyre, who offered this awkward solution for a puzzle on the popular show. Ow. Three L's. Playing with dolls? Oh, sometimes. Playing with... Connie and Carmella. Playing with dolls. There we go. Mercifully oversaying host Pat Sajak, posting uh, the happening to their Instagram page. Of course, it could have been a lot worse. 
Um, but, you know, you you risk that sort of accident happening every once in a while on Wheel of Fortune and just thought it was worth playing for your entertainment. Lots more to come on the show, so stay tuned to Saturday Night on The Circle. We'll also be discussing more uh, regarding the Trump, uh, the Trump indictment coming up in hour two. If we have updates on the terrible storm that came uh, passed through Sullivan County and uh, damaged uh, the areas of Greenwood, Whiteland, uh, downtown Martinsville, and other communities. Uh, we will certainly pass that along. So stay tuned to 93 WIBC. And coming up next, we will commemorate the 24-year anniversary, uh, the 24th anniversary, I should say, of the release of one of the finest uh, sci-fi television programs to ever hit the airwaves. We'll tell you which up next. Up next on 93 WIBC. <laughs> This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, commemorating the 24th birthday of one of the finest science fiction shows to ever grace television airwaves. But before we get into that, sometimes it's helpful to just put things into perspective. I know we live in very, a very stressful age uh, where everything is hyper politically charged, where it seems like the, the country is disintegrating, falling apart at the seams. And then we've got uh, terrible storms that have rolled through our local community and across several states wreaking a terrible damage. Fortunately, it could, well, not fortunately, I guess I should say, just to put it in perspective, it could be worse. I saw in the YouTube chat Kojak mentioning the worst tornado break outbreak to ever come through the state of Indiana. And do you know when that was, Producer Sam? Because I was completely unaware. It happened before I was born, likely uh, uh, before you were as well. Got to guess? Typically, everything bad I hear about happening in Indiana was either the 60s or the 80s. 60s. Yeah. Yeah. 1965. April 11th, Palm Sunday tornado outbreak when more than 47 tornadoes touched down in the state, killing a total of 271. So certainly the death of three is tragic, but it, it pales in comparison to the devastation of 271 killed. I mean, that's... It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to pair that, I guess, to the only other major tragedy that I'm aware of for Hoosiers, which would be the blizzard of 68? Se 78? No, 78. 78. 78. Yep. Uh, also something that I missed out on, but of course that was terrible devastation that wrought, was wrought on the state. I mean, you know, Mother Nature, when she wants to wreak a bloody vengeance, absolutely will, and you just got to get out of the way or hide in a cellar. Um, Worst thing to happen to me with, through Mother Nature was driving on the way to a baseball game. And uh, hail decides to start coming. Ooh. We don't have necessarily enough time, and it happened quick enough. I'm not sure we could have really gotten out of it even if there was shelter. But uh, the hail strikes windshield hard enough that it cracks. I mean, I'm sorry, shatters. And we're getting wind in our face. Well, And then obviously then you're forced to pull over. Yeah. You know. Uh, but that's that's well, the, the worst hail Mother Nature's going, ever treated me. Yeah. Well, and the hail would be going right through the windshield too, so you got to pull over. That. Yeah, I mean, we pulled over quickly enough that nobody was seriously injured, and then obviously packed all tight together in the trunk in the back seat. We're the only place in the car that you could stay dry at that point. Yikes! No, I've never had anything that that crazy happen. I think the worst thing that ever happened 
uh, weather-wise to me driving was uh, going down a rural Indiana roadway, and I did a full 360-degree flip on black ice and fortunately came out the other side driving straight and didn't go off the road. So, you know, I just, I just lucked out. But as far as a near-death experience that didn't involve weather, um, I was going on I-70 and a little round steel ball bearing about an inch in diameter blasted its way through my windshield like a bullet and bedded itself in the metal plate to the rear of my passenger uh, seat. Oh my Somebody gosh. was in there, would have killed them. Or yeah. if it came through the driver's side, it would have killed me. I mean, it was nuts. Still, still wasn't able to figure out where that was coming from, but that was uh, during road construction. Anyway, of course, beginning the segment, uh, I intended to commemorate the 24th uh, birthday anniversary of Futurama. Who could forget this classic theme song? Man, I love Futurama. So many memories, the mind flooded with nostalgia. I used to watch that late at night visiting my dad on the weekends where he had visitation because, of course, I didn't have cable TV at mom's. Uh, so producer Sam, you familiar with the old Futurama? I'm sure you've, you've got to watch that. Love Futurama. If yeah. you watched Adult Swim in the early 2000s, and obviously I wasn't supposed to at that time, but if you <laughs> right, watched Adult here. Swim... You know Family Guy, Robot Chicken, and Futurama. You know those three shows. Brilliant. And so much heart, too. Do you have favorite episodes? If if I had enough time to think of one, yes. Uh, I'd have to say the one that comes to mind is uh, I Love Snoo Snoo when Fry visits the Planet of Giants. That's maybe um, the most quotable one in my mind. Um, I like the ones with heart. You know, the stuff like Luck of the Fryish, Jurassic Bark, Game of Tones, the late Philip J. Fry, um, Time Keeps on Slipping. I mean, there's just, there's a lot to go through with the series. And I think not only were there incredibly intelligent jokes that were made, but an, impress- uh, an impressively poignant character work for an animated, you know, series. Um, Graining saved his best work, definitely, for Futurama. It's a passion project. And it's getting revived again for Hulu in 2023, so... No. No. It's been announced that 2023, uh, it is getting revived for another season on Hulu. Well, I hope it receives the same kind of love and care uh, that the initial runs did and the the revivals, because otherwise I, I sometimes think it's better to leave well enough alone, and it ended in such a great place. I agree for the most part, but Futurama, just because of the way it, it takes place in the future, but also is animated, is yeah. kind of a show that could be timeless in that as our idea of the future develops in 2023, they can see how it would affect the Futurama cast in 2030, whatever it is in their era. Well, yeah, and that was that was part of the fun of the show. I mean, yeah, it was set in the far future, but often the commentary was more relevant for the present day, you know, right. as far as the allegorical uh, comparisons. But uh, another great series, which is getting the recognition it deserves, is, of course, uh, The Twilight Zone, debuting almost 64 years ago. And now Rod Serling is potentially getting a monument coming to him in the ho- his hometown of Bingham. Uh, fans would recall the episode uh, where a businessman returns to his hometown uh, that was walking distance. Um, well, th- th- that was based on a park 
from Rod Serling's childhood, and that's where they want to erect the statue. Martin, is it so bad where you're from? I thought so, Pop. I've been living in a dead run, and I was tired. And one day I knew I had to come back here. I had to come back and get on a merry-go-round and eat cotton candy and listen to a band concert. I had to stop and breathe and close my eyes and smell and listen. I guess we all want that. Maybe when you go back, Martin, you'll find that there are merry-go-rounds and band concerts where you are. Maybe you haven't been looking in the right place. You've been looking behind you, Martin. And again, Try looking ahead. You know, just what a poignant television program that punched well above its weight and continues to be relevant even decades later. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I... Turn your mic on. I remember my first... I don't know why I'm not getting on the first try every time. <laughs> um, okay. I remember my first episode of Twilight Zone was in high school, and it kind of was one of those mind-blowing things when, when you're that old and you think, oh, they're just going to, you know, it's going to be some lazy mystery educational thing and then you actually get invested and it turns out the answer was it was aliens the whole time at the end of the episode that we watched but it was so good that you actually you know invest yourself in that episode well and and part of the reason i think was the limitations of the technology you know they couldn't just throw in a cgi monster that had to it had to stand on the strength of its writing at the time well, a lot of shows. I mean, the shows that made it back then are the ones that were actually written well, you know, yeah. because of how cheap and hard it was to make convincing television. And one of my all-time favorite episodes definitely wanted to play a clip from the unforgettable Obsolete Man. You are obsolete, Mr. Wordsworth. A lie. No man is obsolete. You have no function, Mr. Wordsworth. You're an anachronism, like a ghost from another time. I am nothing more than a reminder to you that you cannot destroy truth by burning pages. You're a bug, Mr. Wordsworth, a crawling insect, an ugly, misformed little creature who has no purpose here, no meaning. I am a human being. Delusions, Mr. Wordsworth. Delusions that you inject into your veins with printer's ink. The narcotics that you call literature, poetry, essays, all kind, all of it, an opiate. You have nothing but spindly limbs in a dream, and the state has no use for your kind. I don't care. I tell you, I don't care. I'm a human being. I exist. And if I speak one thought aloud, that thought lives even after I'm shoveled into my grave. The Chancellor, the late Chancellor, was only partly correct. He was obsolete. But so was the state, the entity he worshipped. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. Man, we could use some more great anti-status fiction like Ron, Rod Serling created. Love the Twilight Zone. And if you've not, if you somehow been living under a rock and missed out, definitely worth checking out. Stay tuned to Saturday Night on the Circle. Saturday night on The Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the show. 
where in the first hour we discussed the ongoing fallout from the Trump indictment and played commentary from some of the preeminent legal minds offering their thoughts on the situation, concluding it is largely overblown puff and legally pathetic. Many also suspect this will, in fact, boost Trump's prominence with the base and not hinder his attempts to uh, uh, obtain the Republican nomination in the 2024 primaries. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me on the show. This is Saturday Night on The Circle, where I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Producer Sam is on the board filling in for Carl while he's on his great sojourn through Europe. Looking forward to his return. But in the meantime, producer Sam doing a fantastic job. We'll begin this hour talking more about the Trump indictment and really showing the gross, toxic, witheringly political takes that the most partisan liberals are offering. This supposedly for entertainment. I I want you to try and imagine if you can, because it wouldn't happen. Johnny Carson leading his show the way Stephen Colbert did on Thursday following the official announcement. And producer Sam, I'm going to be playing this over the web. So do we have the web audio turned up? Can we do that? Yeah, we should. You should be good okay, to go. Okay, then let's let's see let's see if this works. Welcome, yeah. one and all, to the Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. Ladies and gentlemen, today I am feeling a little extra American. One reason: today is baseball's opening day here in New York. Here in New York, it was here in New York. It was 40 degrees, but I still ate ice cream out of a baseball helmet. Why? Oh. Just a little something worth celebrating today because literally three minutes before I walked out on this stage here, the New York Times reported a New York grand jury voted to indict former president Donald J. Trump. Uproarious, continuous applause. He's eating the ice cream out of the helmet. The camera is panning around. Oh, look, he's putting whipped cream in his mouth. Isn't this cause for celebration? The camera panning around, showing... (sighs) This is the the hazard when you play audio live. There we go. Back up. The camera panning around, showing the audience standing up, cheering beside themselves with elation. This is gross. He was, ladies and gentlemen, he was right. We're finally saying Merry Christmas again. <laughs> this is, and you know what? Wow. I didn't know this was going to wow. be coming. I thought maybe wow. it would never come. I used wow. to think, oh, what does it matter if it came? I didn't know it would feel this good. Come on. This is good. All right, we're going to end it there because, of course, it continues. But my gosh, is that toxic? Way to alienate your audience. I mean, that is a broadcast that is meant for the coasters alone, for the liberal audience alone. And to try, I mean, this is why late night comedy is dead. They're celebrating the indictment of a former president, which is the first first time this has ever happened. It's beyond the normal purview. It, it, it potentially signals further disintegration of our constitutional norms. And those, those guys are barking like seals, cheering it on. Absolutely toxic. 
Um, fortunately, not all liberals are quite that extreme. John Stewart also offering his reaction to the Trump indictment, a more measured response, ultimately, uh, resting his, uh, his analysis on the importance of the rule of law, which... Plainly, we can agree that the rule of law is important, even if we disagree on whether Trump should be indicted. So there are people who say, yes, you have to indict him because he, he has, in fact, broken the laws. And there are other people who say this is going to turn him into a martyr. This is his right. path to redemption. Sure. How, how do you think about it? Oh, I, I, the law should always take into account someone's popularity. <laughs> I think that's that's I mean, what what's happened to our country? For, it's as though you can't even commit financial fraud anymore. You can't, you can't inflate the value of your properties uh, when you need a loan and then deflate it uh, with taxes. I mean, uh, the next thing you know, they're going to send you to jail instead of your lawyer and your accountant and your campaign manager and everyone else uh, around you. It's no. To, the idea that someone may face accountability uh, who's that rich and powerful is outrageous. And this country shouldn't stand for it. <laughs> but uh, but but what if it what if it turns out to be his his get out of jail free pass? It's his path to people will see him as a martyr. He gets he. Okay, you're okay I with that. Is that I, he could I don't become president again? He could become president anyway. Fareed, you, it's, we either have the rule of law or we have no rule of law. The rule of law does not take into account if that might make you a martyr to somebody. Okay, fair. The rule of law is paramount, and that means that Trump will and should have his day in court and likely will be acquitted of the charges. How many bites at the apple do these liberals need? They had two impeachment trials, the continuous investigation into his supposed collusion with Russia that ultimately turned up nothing. Anytime they try and throw something at this guy, it doesn't stick. It only elevates him further, which leads me to believe there must be some level of strategy and not just sheer political insanity behind the Democrats' move because they must understand that this will elevate Trump with his base and increase his prominence ahead of the Republican primaries. Either way, this is a spectacle that merits further investigation. Don Trump Jr. blasting the indictment, perhaps overselling it, making a drastic comparison to the worst um, uh, uh, dictators through history. I was proven even more right than I would have ever imagined because apparently... You know, Soros to back Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is actually indicting my father. So let's be clear, folks. This is like communist level. This is stuff that would make Mao, Stalin, uh, Pol Pot. Don't oversell it. It would make them blush. It's so flagrant. It's so crazed. When even like the radical leftists of the Washington Post are out there saying, it's not really based on facts, it's not really based on the law, it's not really based in reality, but it's 100% based on politics. When your enemies are saying that, it's got to tell you everything you need to know right now about where we are as a country. Okay, certainly I sympathize with why the son of the former president would be extremely passionate about this issue. I do think the comparison between history's worst dictators is somewhat hyperbolic. Let's not overlook the fact that commies like Pol Pot or Stalin or Nazis like Hitler literally drug people out, their political adversaries, in the street and shot them summarily. So... 
We're far way off from there, fortunately. The situation is not quite so dire, but nevertheless shouldn't be taken lightly either and is indicative of the deeper, darker forces that currently operate within the government to achieve their political ends. And if they'll go after the former president, they certainly will go after you. This is uh, Sebastian Gorka. Um, talking about uh, the Trump indictment as proof the deep state exists. Whatever happens, what is the one big take-home, Jack? With this indictment, President Trump's mantra, his platform, among everything else, that the deep state is real and has to be destroyed, has just been empirically demonstrated. Right. We exactly. now have, as of nine minutes ago, the proof that the deep state exists and the person they are most afraid of is my former boss so you know on a strategic scale look on a tactical scale we know why they did it because they detest this man they must destroy him on a strategic level they've probably made him more powerful than any man in american history you can't win darth if you strike me down i shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine <laughs> wins either way the indictment elevates him and conviction would likely elevate him more even though 44 percent of republicans claim post indictment that he should step aside he nevertheless continues to enjoy enormous support megan kelly speculating the same morning the indictment came through that uh trump should be begging for an indictment, because this ultimately doesn't damage him the way that some Democrats ultimately wish it would. And I think if I were Trump, I'd be on, on my little altar every night praying that Alvin Bragg indicts me. Please, please, Lord, let, let Alvin Bragg convince that grand jury. I mean, his numbers are going like this. Have you seen Trump's numbers? They're going like this. Why? He's in the news. He's back in the news. He's being persecuted. And the, these criminal prosecutions are persecutions. They're absolutely absurd, all three of them. Georgia, Alvin Bragg in New York, and the special counsel, I think they're all baseless. That's my legal opinion. Um, so he should beg because he does well when he's being persecuted and he gets out there as like the strong man saying, I'm going to take everybody on. And if I were DeSantis, I'd be praying for the opposite, that they leave him alone. So the question we need to ask ourselves is what do Democrats hope to achieve? And if the goal is counterintuitively to elevate President Trump, then is it because they believe they could easily defeat him again, as they did in the 2020 election, as Trump enormously failed in the Biden midterms after supporting candidates who lost? Only time will tell, but it merits consideration. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Stay tuned for more. Catch our podcasts uploaded to SaturdayNightOnTheCircle.Fireside.FM, WIBC.com. You can join the chat in progress on YouTube by looking for WIBC, Saturday Night on The Circle. We're also on Facebook, on Twitter, multiple ways for you to participate. Make your thoughts known and stay tuned for more on 93 WIBC. There's something happening here What it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. I think it's time we stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is Saturday Night on The Circle, and we're delving into a difficult topic uh, for this segment, the Nashville shooting. 
Um, happened on Monday, another in what seems like an endless string of school shootings uh, hitting our nation, resulting in the deaths of three nine-year-old children and three teachers, plus the spineless uh, shooter whose name we will not be mentioning, initially reported to be a 20-year-old woman. Of course, that was clarified to be a 28-year-old transgender woman, which, of course, means the opposite. It was a biological man. It stuck out to me that, uh, for once, it was a female shooter that was engaging in mass shootings because, statistically, it seems like nearly exclusively, to my mind, uh, it is male shooters, which, of course— it was a biological male in this case, but reported early to be uh, not only a female, but also a teenager. So this was an extremely young-looking assailant who was fortunately quickly dispatched by responding officers and in really what has to be probably the best example of a quick and effective response to tragedy striking. But first, we want to honor, of course, the victims of the attack, including Haley Scruggs, the daughter of Chad Scruggs, who was the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, where the school was founded. Um, and the other two victims were identified as Evelyn Decaus and William Kinney, nine-year-old children whose lives were cut short before they were even able to reach their prime, before they were even able to exit adolescence. This is an unspeakable tragedy that unfortunately we are becoming increasingly desensitized to. Also dying in the attack was Cynthia Peake, 61, a substitute teacher. Mike Hill, also 61, a custodian at the school, as well as Katherine Kuntz, 60, who had worked extensively with students in such things as math tutoring, now taken away from their communities in this tragic assault that sadly seems to have been forgotten far too soon. This is following what I'm calling the rule of 10. This is a theory that I developed on my show a few months ago about the nature. It happens so frequently here in America um, that we can sadly say if only six died, then it is a slow news day. Uh, here in America. These mass shootings don't even stick around in the news cycle for longer than a week, maybe a week and a half, unless it's 10 or more. That's why I say the rule of 10. So we have six fatalities, and unfortunately that isn't enough to get taken seriously here in America anymore. I'm going to pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. It's gross. I'm being facetious here uh, using that soundbite. It's a little bit flippant, but but we're in a situation where we have become desensitized to the violence and willing to allow ourselves to do nothing, to shrug our shoulders and put it to the side, exemplified by, from the state, state of Tennessee, Congressman Tim Burchett, who reacted to the school shooting in a rather callous way, shrugging his shoulders and saying there's nothing to be done. Three precious little kids lost their lives, and I believe three adults, I believe. It's, and, um, and the shooter, of course, lost their life, too. So it's, it's a horrible, horrible situation. And we're not going to fix it. Criminals are going to be criminals. And my daddy fought in the Second World War, fought in the Pacific, fought the Japanese. And he told me, he said, buddy, he said, if somebody wants to take you out and doesn't mind losing their life, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it. That's not an excuse and schools should not be analogous to war zones, to European theaters of battle, or, or to the Pacific, 
where people are hiding in wait to ambush and assassinate you. It shouldn't be a risk of your life or your child's life to go to school and to shrug your soldiers and say, or shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, you know, that's just what criminals are going to do. Criminals are going to be criminals. I guess there's nothing to be done, is a rather tone-deaf take on an enormous tragedy. Asked specifically if Congress should intervene again, the answer was no. Do you think there's any role for Congress to play to, in reaction to this tragedy? Obviously, this is your state now, sure. but it's happened in every other state. Oh, it's happening. It doesn't matter what state it's happening in. It's for all Americans. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. They all believe red. It's, they're bleeding a lot. Um, I, I don't see any real role that we could do other than mess things up, honestly, because of the um, situation. It's... Um, uh, like I said, I don't think a criminal's going to stop from guns. You know, you can print them out on the computer now, 3D printing. And there's really, I, I don't think you're going to stop the gun violence. I think you, you've got to change people's hearts. You know, as a Christian, as we talk about in the church, and I've said this many times, I think we really need revival in this country. If there's really, truly nothing to be done for legislators, why does this seem to be a uniquely American phenomenon? Not that violence doesn't happen in other countries, but rather that specifically school shootings seems to be an American epidemic. I'll draw a specific comparison. During the years of 2009 to 2018, the United States had two. 188 school shootings, 57 times more than uh, the other six G7 countries combined, including Canada, France, and Germany. Canada and France having two school mass, uh, two school shootings in uh, that nine-year period. Germany having one. Japan, Italy, and UK all having zero. The United States experiencing 288. But yes, I suppose the congressman is right. There's nothing to be done. There's no way that Congress can intervene if criminals uh, want to behave criminally, if killers want to go out and kill. That's just what they'll do, and there's no way for Americans to do anything. I mean, for gosh sakes, in Mexico during the same period from 2009 to 2018, there were eight school shootings. South Africa, there were six. Nigeria and Pakistan each had four. Afghanistan had three, and by golly, if Mexico, Nigeria, and Afghanistan can't figure out the school shooting situation, then why should America? This is a civilized country, after all. Uh, also, when responding to the Nashville shooting, again, Tim Burchett offering a rather tone-deaf response, uh, noting what, you know, what, if anything, should be done to save and protect the lives of children. Well, his daughter's homeschooled. What should be done to protect people like your little girl from being safe at school? Well, we homeschool her. But, you know, that's our decision. Some people don't have that option, and frankly, some people don't need to do it. I mean, they don't have to. Um, it just suited our needs much better. You good? Even admitting that it's not an option for most parents to yank their kids out of school and do a homeschooling uh, to, to, to avail themselves of homeschooling. And either way, that shouldn't be the permanent fix. It shouldn't be the option of either sending your child to a war zone that is public schools or pulling them out and doing the education yourself. Of course, if you know homeschooling is something you wish to pursue, every American should have the right to do so, but it shouldn't be the only option to keep your child safe. 
You're listening to 93 WIBC. Of course, uh, Andrew McCabe being called on uh, by CNN, offering his thoughts on whether armed teachers would make a difference in intervening. Here's what he said. What should be done to protect you? We can expect to hear, again, an argument for training teachers, arming teachers, for more guns in schools. What, What do you say to that? Well, you know, I think first we need to look at what happened here, Alex. This, there, are, there are many indications that this was an incredibly professional, well-trained response. They got there in minutes. It was a large tactical team, five-member team that entered the building. They had uh, medical support services integrated in that team from the fire department who were trained and equipped to do so. Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot more we'd like to know, but at this point, the ind- all indications are this was an I- the ideal law enforcement response, and still you have seven people dead. The sad fact is you will never be faster than the shooter. You are always behind the shooter, the best you can do is limit the damage. And the idea that, okay, let's flood the zone with uh, civilians carrying firearms, civilians who aren't trained to the level of law enforcement, who are no more prepared than your average police uh, agency to the idea that they might have a violent person walk through the door one day. It's just, it's fiction to think that that's going to change this situation. I disagree with the assessment of McCabe. Certainly, if there were first responders able to intervene more expeditiously, then it could potentially save lives. But if we can't intervene legislatively and we can't arm the teachers, then maybe the solution here is to start arming the students, arming uh, elementary school children. It's unfair to ask themselves or ask them to be wholly defenseless uh, in schools. And if these mass shootings are an unavoidable consequence, we need to restore their Second Amendment rights. I've read the Second Amendment top to bottom. I see no age limit included anywhere. It does say shall not be infringed in black and white, plain as day. There were under 18 children who served in the Revolutionary War. It would be a concept our founding fathers were familiar with, and clearly they were intelligent enough to include an age limit if that's what they wanted to do. Children already participate in shooting competitions sponsored by the NRA. They are allowed to use firearms. They're simply prohibited from owning them. Let's step out of the way of their Second Amendment rights. Uh, Let's arm any school child who wishes uh, to protect themselves and maybe we'll put a stop to these school shootings because something has to be done. And uh, blithely shrugging our shoulders like the congressman uh, uh, from Tennessee is no solution, at least in this man's estimation. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. More to come. Stay tuned to 93 WIBC. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the show. Days after the Nashville shooting took place, emotions running high, a shouting match 
erupted in the halls of the House of Representatives between Congressman from New York, Jamal Bowman, and Representative uh, from Kentucky, Thomas Massey, um, each arguing their positions about gun control, uh, the issue of gun control. Uh, Jamal noting uh, that the lives of children are threatened um, as he was uh, addressing uh, Thomas Massey, who was passing by while he was speaking to reporters. States that have open carry laws have more deaths. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Calm down. Children are dying. Nine-year-old children. The, the solution is not arming teachers. Have you ever worked in a school? 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 It's a yes or no question. Have you ever worked in a school? You will not answer my question. Don't stop and talk to me. Okay, I'll bring it down a notch. Have you ever worked in a school? I worked in a school for 20 years. I was a teacher. I was screaming before you came and interrupted me. I worked in a school for 20 years. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. I think it's frustrating that we can't even have a discussion anymore. Everything devolves into shouting matches or blithe shrugs that there's simply nothing to be done. Massey was attempting to say that there's never been a school shooting in a school which allows teachers to carry. I would amend that to say there's never been a shooting in a school with armed teachers yet. Seems like only a matter of time where these uh, things are happening with increasing frequency uh, alone. School uh, school shootings with more than 10, 10 fatalities or more happen at a rate of about once every two years. Of course, many more um, under that threshold, but those aren't considered significant enough to merit more multi-week attention here in America anymore. Massey, of course, once posing uh, in 2021, a family photo at Christmas time of him and uh, the family loaded up with firearms as his right to do so. It seems he may be sympathetic with my take from the previous segment that the solution to this problem obviously is to arm the children. If we're not going to do anything, then we at least should allow them to protect themselves. Here is the moment officers uh, intervened um, and dispatched the shooter uh, efficiently. I, I wanted to play the audio um, because it is extremely jarring, first of all, and it's something that never, ever, ever should be heard inside of a school. <laughs> case scenario concerning response and still six innocent lives were taken. We should commend these officers. That was uh, body cam footage from Officer Rex Engelbert uh, who responded and helped to dispatch the shooter. Best case scenario and still six individuals, six innocent lives taken by the 28-year-old maniac who incurred on a Christian school. Of course, 
Um, the the White House has noted the true victims in the fallout from the Christian school shooting from a transgendered activist. It would, of course, naturally be the transgendered activists. They're the ones that are being targeted in the fallout of uh, this tra uh, tragic school shooting, pointed out by Corrine Jean-Pierre on Transgender Visibility Day. Transgender Day of Visibility. It's a day where we celebrate the joy, strength, and courage of transgender Americans and their families and loved ones who support them. These are Americans who serve in our military and help keep our nation safe and free, and they are Americans who strengthen our communities and make it better. This community is under relentless attacks from Republicans across the country rather than uplifting or supporting everyone in our community. to the American people, they want to target transgender Americans and take away their freedoms. Yes, they're the ones that are under relentless attack. And of course, we're taking away their freedoms by limiting or illegalizing uh, the gender or the genital mutilation of children. That is a supposedly an attack on the transgender community. But what doesn't count as an attack in the eyes of the White House is a full on armed assault of a Christian school by a transgendered activist. This is the backwards, upside down world that we live in, where every event becomes hyper political and instead of acknowledging the real victims or talking about the victims, no, instead we're going to virtue signal for Transgender Awareness Day. And it's not just their freedoms or the freedoms of adults that Republicans are talking about. It is protecting the bodily integrity of children, which shouldn't be a controversial take, but it is very important to identify specifically it's the children that need to be protected. They are under direct assault and it is being revealed testimony from Xavier Becerra about uh, spending in the chips bill potentially going to the genital mutilation surgeries for children. desperately trying to wriggle his way out of the reality of admitting that federal taxpayer dollars are being used for the genital mutilation of children, which is completely unacceptable, especially when it is in furtherance of uh, attempting to reverse the immutable reality of the two sexes, something that even acclaimed atheist Richard Dawkins is on the same page of. There being simply two sexes, if gender is exists on a spectrum, whatever, that's personal choice, but what is immutable fact, a biological reality, is the existence of a male and female sex. That shouldn't be a controversial take, but here it is. We live in 2023. Well, it's just, what's extraordinary to me is that they want to 
what they call de-gender and neutralise language. But they're doing it from a completely false pretext that you can somehow pretend biology doesn't exist, particularly when it comes to someone's sex. I mean, it's incontrovertible. There's no scientific doubt about this. And yet a small group of people have been quite successful, actually, in reshaping vast swathes of the way society talks and is allowed to talk. It's bullying. Uh, and we've seen the, the way um, J.K. Rowling has been bullied, Kathleen yeah. Stock has been bullied. Um, they've stood up to it. But, but um, it's very upsetting the way this tiny minority of people has managed to capture the discourse and to um, really talk arrant nonsense. What's the answer to it? Science. I mean, um, there are two sexes. Um, you can talk about gender if you wish, and that's a subjective... I'm not but when people say there are 100 genders, yeah, for example. Uh, yeah, I'm not interested in that. As, as a biologist, there are two sexes, mm. uh, and that's all there is to it. Simple as that. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle, where we're straight shooters here, so keep on listening. Up next, uh, talking about an interesting tax proposal from, of all places, the state of California. Could it offer a solution to our property tax woes? Well, you'll find out coming up next on 93 WIBC. Listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're wrapping up on a Saturday evening. It's been a busy show with lots to discuss. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you missed a moment, catch the podcast uploaded to WIBC.com. But capping off the show, I wanted to replay an exchange I had with the famed Rob Kendall. Of course, property taxes came up while I was filling in on the Kendall and Casey show this past Friday and had the opportunity to bring up some something from, of all places, the state of California that my producer Carl's been wanting me to mention for ages. But there is a big event going on here locally, Ethan, and uh, we've talked about it a lot this week. People opening those property tax bills showing up in the mail. I've had a cavalcade of people over the last couple days uh, sending me messages saying, well, I guess you were right. And I said, I'm almost always right. That's why I'm here. That's why they pay me the big bucks. You should not doubt me. Now, you were telling me you've been too uh, fearful and timid to even open your property yes, tax bills I as of yet. I haven't even looked. Last year's assessment was up about 10%, so that was a, turned a $10,000 bill into an $11,000 bill for 19 <laughs> properties in the center of Indianapolis. Think about, so you own, so people may not know this, you you earn your living uh, not from broadcasting here. Oh, just, no. That's no, just, no, that's no, just no, your, no. Uh, that's your, as we like to say, your money you walk around with. The fun money. Yeah. Uh, your actual living is you own multiple properties and you rent those out and you provide housing for people across central Indiana. Correct. I am what many refer to as the landlord. Oh, yes. I don't like that term because I'm not a lord over anything. I prefer the term housing provider. And we've gone through in the past on this show about how people like you, the people who rent the apartments and the houses, got totally screwed during COVID, couldn't collect your rent, yet you had to keep paying your property taxes. More you than to- $30,000 of damage sustained by the unconstitutional Constitutional state seizure of yeah. property. And Holcomb just said, shut up and pay, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we're, st- we're still involved in litigation against the state that's headed up by Laura Guy, uh, Mark Rutherford, and the Indiana Property Rights Association. Yeah, but those people aren't running a soup. I like Rutherford. He's great. We have him on the show all the time. He ain't running a soup kitchen over there. That cost you money to file that thing, didn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, but, uh, but, but it's definitely a cause worth fighting for. Yeah, absolutely. And we hope you guys win and win big time um, because how the, the property owners have been were treated during COVID is just 
horrific. Like a thumb screw. Well, you know, it, it's easy for guys like Holcomb to do that with the alligator arms when they're, they're never spending their own money. But we were, I mean, it is pathetic the amount of increase that people are seeing across the state. And even taking what you got last year, which was before the dramatic increases took effect, I can't imagine what you're going to get hit with this year. 10% more, $1,000 out of your wallet for what? Did the government get $1,000 better? And the thing about that is it's money that could be going to employees. It's money that could be going to improvements. It's money that could be going to things that are actually productive and beneficial to the city. Instead, it's going to taxes, and they can't manage to use our tax money to even fix the roads while we drive around. Yeah, it's part of the it's the broader question, and we've asked this many times, and I'll continue to ask it, which is where does the money go i mean the governments the state governments the local governments the federal governments they just consume colossal amounts of money and like we're talking about here you paid them a thousand dollars more than you did the year before for what your government didn't get any better where does the money go I think a proposal, because this is an issue that has energized you, obviously, quite passionately, yes. um, and we talked about it off-air a little bit. Proposition 13 from California. My producer, Carl, has been hounding Carl! me. Producer Carl! He's been hounding me for months uh, to bring up this issue. I, I know you're against uh, uh, taxing assets that haven't been monetized, yes. but this is something that could potentially cap that in a more substantive way. In California, in 1978, Proposition 13 uh, put all real property at an uh, ha has uh, established base values and a restricted rate of increase on assessments no greater than 2% annually. Wait, wait, wait. Time out, time out, time out. So this is super liberal California. Who was well, passed during the Nixon years. Yeah, but, it's, a, but, it's, it. but it's still there. Uh, and Nixon ain't there no more. And, uh, and so, th so this, this, is, this is in California. So even California has a better property tax plan than we do here. Correct. They have a better cap on the ability to increase property taxes every single year than we do here in Indiana. And We're losing to California. And the property tax is limited to 1% of the total assessed value. Now, what's it say again? Um, it's capped at no, uh, no greater than 2% annual increase, and uh, the property tax rate is 1% of the assessed value of the property. We're losing to California. <laughs> but hey, the Indiana Republicans say, shut up and pay. That's the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to learn more, check out Proposition 13 in California and discover that the Republicans are letting us lay in waste. They're uh, uh, not doing their jobs and cutting the taxes. I leave you with my parting words of wisdom. As always, wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing, remember that life is a state of mind. See you next time.